This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Welcome to The Every Lawyer, a Canadian Bar Association podcast. I'm your host, Julia Tetro-Provenchy. Since the fall of Kabul on August 15th, daily reports have shared the alleged atrocities and serious human rights violations committed by the Taliban regime against Afghan civilians, including women and girls, children, journalists, human rights defenders, members of parliament, and any individuals who worked or supported Western powers. Before this economic and humanitarian crisis, the UN predicted that up to half a million Afghans could flee their homeland by the end of the year 2021. Alarmed by the situation, the Canadian government has pledged to welcome 40,000 Afghan refugees and has put in place special immigration programs and measures. One of them notably focuses on resettling Afghan nationals who are outside of Afghanistan and who do not have durable solution in a third country. The program prioritizes women leaders, human rights advocates, persecuted religious or ethnic minorities, LGBTI individuals, or journalists. Despite these essential measures put in place, Concerns have been raised as to how those affected by the crisis could fully understand the system and effectively take advantage of the special programs that have been set up. To address this issue, lawyers in the CBA Immigration Law Section have put in place an initiative to provide pro bono services to those impacted by the situation in Afghanistan. Our guest today to discuss this service is Anna Kuranicheva. She is an immigration lawyer working at the Edmonton Community Legal Center and chair of the Immigration Law North section of CBA's Alberta branch. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after the following message. Hello, Canadian Bar Association podcast listeners. The Institute for Research on Public Policy is proud to present the Policy Options podcast. Join us weekly as we take a deep dive into a broad range of important and timely issues in Canadian public policy. We speak with experts on topics like Western alienation, sick leave, reconciliation, the future of work, and much, much more. Find the IRPP's Policy Options podcast on your favorite streaming platform and at policyoptions.irpp.org. Anna, welcome to the podcast and thanks for being here with us today. You're one of the 11 lawyers who have volunteered to provide services without charges to individuals affected by the crisis in Afghanistan. Can you tell us a bit more about these services? Uh, yes, uh, good morning. It's still morning in the uh, in uh, the beautiful province of Alberta <laughs> as we are recording this. Uh, yeah, so I am one of the coordinators um, for the immigration section of the national uh, of the nationals immigration section for the Canadian Bar Association, uh, sometime in uh, mid to late uh, September, our section decided to kind of organize uh, a concerted effort to assist those who are affected by the um, unfolding and escalating crisis, humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. There was a lot of media coverage. Uh, in terms of kind of like general news about the country and then um, stories uh, highlighting individuals and families, how they had been very adversely impacted. Uh, and so our section has a tradition of uh, responding to such uh, large-scale disasters, uh, crises, mm -hmm. 
And so periodically in the last, in the past several years, we would put out a call to our members to volunteer their services okay. as lawyers. And um, so those were pro bono initiatives. Uh, and so uh, in the past, those services would range from consultations to application reviews, document notarizations, or anything where like a lawyer would come in handy. And yeah, and as I said, those would be offered pro bono. So uh, with that background, uh, we thought that we like we're all in Canada, we can't sort of, you know, travel there on the ground. We don't have the capacity to airlift anybody yeah. <laughs> from, a, from a very dire situation. So the least we could do as lawyers to put our knowledge and skill and our uh, ability authorization to practice law and provide our services at no cost to those uh, who might need them. So as, a, as the coordinator, uh, as the initial coordinator for, for this initiative, I put out a call to our section members and we had about 10 people uh, that were available to, to be offering free legal advice, uh, at least free consultations first. So that was, and I should probably say that it's not that everybody's kind of committing to doing a lot of work or whatever, mm-hmm. unlimited amount of work at no charge, but because the, the initiative was touted as pro bono. So it was conceived that at least a consultation would be offered as a pro bono service. And then if somebody needs help with applications, if there are any complexities, uh, challenges arise, so then it would be determined on a case-by-case basis from from that sort of like midpoint or or further mm-hmm. into the provision of service. And so then, so we had um, uh, our CBA liaison assisted with putting together a dedicated web page on the CBA website. Uh, so the names of those lawyers were listed there. Um, a number of lawyers, I would say half of them, were also those who themselves or had staff at their practices who could speak one of the languages uh, spoken in Afghanistan. And um, so that came to fruition in about uh, late September. And since then, uh, so myself and and I should say my like I was also part of um, part of that group. So we have been receiving queries, I would say, almost every day okay, okay. from individuals, from emails. Most, most of them come through email. And so it appears from emails that those are individuals are in Afghanistan or they would have fled. And so they are asking about, about ways to uh, immigrate to Canada, to come to safety. Uh, sometimes queries come from... Uh, individuals and organizations in Canada and other countries who want to assist Afghanis. Mm-hmm. And so they want to know more about how the current initiatives by the Canadian government work. Uh, sometimes also we receive queries from those who have already applied and who have sent in the information, the documents required by the federal government, and they have not heard anything for months. Okay. So understandably, people in volatile, precarious situations like that would want to know what's happening, when the next step will happen and how they can plan. And in the meantime, what they can do sort of to pro to, to find any solutions, any extra solutions necessary to keep themselves and their families safe. Okay. Yes. And, and I'm, I hear that you said, so if um, other members uh, were listening to you right now and they would like to join, is it still possible to join the list of the 11 lawyers already participating to this initiative or now the, the list is closed and, uh, uh, no, absolutely. The, the, okay. the, the list is open. So yeah, so my, my information, my contact information is on that list. So I'm Great. very easy to identify there. So if anybody would like to join, uh, to contribute with provide, at least providing advice to those affected individuals initially, 
uh, then absolutely they can reach out to me and uh, we can add them to the list or I can give sort of like an update where we sort of, you know where we stand in terms of getting the information from the government mm-hmm. okay. to know what to tell all these people who are contacting yeah. us. <laughs> to have the information, yeah, for sure. And and you say you, you receive uh, queries every day of individuals and do you have roughly a number of individuals that have uh, contacted you or your colleagues to use these services uh, since it has been advertised on the website? Yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, and also, I was trying to figure out the number mm-hmm. myself. And then between myself and our co- my colleagues who are on the list, we realized that it's it would be very, very difficult because at some point it became apparent that the same individuals contact oh, yeah. mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. like multiple lawyers or they just go through the list or because email makes it so easy, right? You prepare the content once and then you just copy it. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> in different, yeah, in different emails to like 20 recipients. So, but let's say for myself, I, yeah, so there would be, so since late September, there would be at least one query okay. uh, daily. Oh yeah, okay, okay. So that's Yeah, and I, and I would, I like, I would guess that it would be the same for others. Mm. Um, yeah, and it might be more for those who have identified themselves on the website as speaking Daria or mm-hmm. Pashto. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it says also on the CBA's page that uh, some restrictions will apply. Uh, what are they exactly? Well, that's in terms of uh, providing services. Yeah. Okay. So, for example, if somebody contacts um, one of our lawyers and so they want to proceed with an application, uh, they let's say they have a family member in Canada who might uh, be willing to sponsor them to um, to come to Canada. So there is a special way to facilitate family reunification on humanitarian grounds where... Mm-hmm. The affected individual is not strictly defined as a family member under the immigration law, which is to say not a spouse and not a child under 22 and unmarried. So like cousins, brothers, sisters, uncles. So so then so the application will be put together and then a special written request would have to be prepared to explain that these are non-dependent family members. They are de facto family members okay. and their circumstances are very sympathetic, exonerating and compelling, and they deserve the exercise of this dis- uh, humanitarian discretion under the immigration law to to allow uh, this application. So this is the written request, and then there is evidence, written evidence, sorry, documentary evidence that has to be added, uh, outlining the nature of the relationship between the sponsor in Canada and the, uh, the these family members in Afghanistan, Ev- evidence of the current uh, adverse conditions in Afghanistan, uh, proof of financial support, for mm-hmm. example, between the two parties, communication uh, exchange is sort of like an indication of how frequently and for how long they have been communicating. So all of that can become very time-consuming. Yeah. So this is where the restriction on um, on a sort of like a pro bono premise would come into play. So the initial consultation would be offered at no charge, maybe like a follow-up consultation. Uh, I myself have done these pro bono consultations, uh, first with the person inquiring from Canada. Um, and so then I would explain that... There is this route with family sponsorship, mm-hmm. and so then the family member would be identified. So I would tell them what needs to be done, and so then if um, if they want to proceed, then with application forms. So then at that point, I haven't gone to, to go into that stage myself yet. But if these people were to come back to me and say, "Yes, we are ready. We want to try it." So so as far as I, as I'm concerned, so like I might not be able to mm-hmm. to fully 
offer this service uh, on a pro bono basis because it would become very time and uh, effort consuming. So for many other practitioners, the situation would be similar. And so then a sort of low bono arrangement could be figured out or uh, there could be a more collaborative uh, Mm -hmm. approach where the family, the individual, so they do their best with their forms and they fill out as much as they can. So they drop the initial uh, information to be put forward in writing to the government. And so then the lawyer would step in to provide feedback for revisions, to uh, to add sort of mm-hmm. to to improve what is what already has been drafted. Okay. Um, so I guess that can be a bit of a challenge as well to deal with all the the documents that have to be filled in and to, to make sure that you have a proper follow-up uh, with the people who are reaching out to you. Um, and in terms of challenges, do you have others that you um, that you have faced? since uh, you started to provide these services? Um, for instance, you said people are often on the move. Um, and how do you reach out to Afghan people, not only, for instance, Afghan women who are parliamentarians or activists and uh, who might be hiding in neighboring countries and who might not always have access to internet? So how do you reach out to these people? So, so far, email has proven to be the okay. best uh, means of uh, communication. Um, yeah, so and also the email and uh, and um, the online um, s- social media platform WhatsApp, okay, which yeah. somehow I myself did not really come into contact with it very much in Canada. Sort of in my circles, it's not used. It's not used very much, but it seems that maybe in some parts of the world, like some social media platforms, are more widely utilized than others. So. So that is um, like a very common one. Um, but with email, it seems to be working. I guess it's like it's not perfect. And so the communication cannot be like you cannot expect to receive a message when when somebody says that you know, like I'll try it. But uh, but those people, especially who are not in Canada, so they would not be contacting us on somebody's behalf. So they they do try. They do find ways to come online periodically. So I'm like, I'm not fully sure, like what they what their access is and, and what kind of infrastructure, what kind of tech, technical sort of practical barriers they might have face um but um like they are able to at the very least get uh, on the internet and send emails and attach documents okay okay and and um what have been the response of the federal immigration department to your initiative has it been a challenge or has it been responsive uh it hasn't been challenged at all uh we may have received sort of like a nod that you know great that you're assisting sort of with whatever we whatever you can do uh, the, the main challenge uh, for us uh, lawyers who are providing advice mm-hmm. uh, at this point is to almost operate from the premise that these are the options and these are the only options. And from what you are telling me, you are not likely to meet the requirements mm-hmm. for any of these options. Okay. And, and and people often ask questions: Can you know? Can can this be done? Can somebody else? Uh, like sponsor me uh, so then the answer quite often is no so this is not possible this is not possible yet uh, mm-hmm. yeah so which we think is still like valuable advice because it gives precise current um, like up-to-date um, information sort of that is clear that is easy to understand to absorb but like much of the information on this point is kind of like the information sort of like of in the negative, yeah. So you mm-hmm. cannot do this. You cannot do something else. And so, no, you can't apply yourself to be a refugee. And no, uh, you can't organize a group. And uh, 
and have them bring you to Canada if you don't have a refugee status yourself. No, you cannot uh, come under the initiative that that assists those who assisted the Canadian government if you have not worked in any helping capacity with the Canadian government, although there might be there might have been some sort of Canadian connection there. So there have been advocacy efforts made uh, by lawyers from not just from CBA, but from other organizations and sort of from other advocacy initiatives across Canada, pressuring the government to ease the restrictions, mm-hmm. to uh, maybe set up uh, other programs, to speed up the processing, because it's also another problem that even those who are eligible, that they fit into those kind of narrow categories who yeah. who can who can be processed. So then it's the, the delays at this point are just very, very ex- extensive. People, we anecdotally, we know that people... Uh, that that Afghanis would have submitted their queries, submitted the required information documents in late August, early September, and they still barely received maybe like an acknowledgement of, of their submission and no indication about the f- further step or uh, sort of the other timelines that w- would be attached. So they're kind of like hanging on that limbo in on that sort of black yeah. black zone of not having any information at all. Okay. Yeah. So so. In that sense, I guess that do you have any other um, relief measures that you believe could be introduced by the government of Canada that you you think should be taken into consideration to expand those narrow categories or to make sure that um, the people who applied in August actually and have an answer now? Um, yeah, do you have any examples of measures that you think should be put in place? Uh, well, like, like, so like one immediate, of course, like it's easy, sort of like for me so that to, to, to say, well, this is what should be done ideally. Yeah, Sort of, you know, critic and decision, sort of like a pol- policy sort of inventor here. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But certainly speeding up the processing times because, mm. well, immigration has never been fast and then the pandemic slowed it down yeah. significantly, um, in terms of, um, Yeah, eligibility, admissibility assessments, uh, documents, receipts, documents, mm-hmm. uh, assessments for, from from applicants. But here we are dealing with a very, very vulnerable a group of people who are truly uh, uh, in a very precarious situation, uh, rightfully being afraid for their life, for their safety, uh, if they're still in Afghanistan. So they are in hiding and, and quite often they have to move places and houses mm-hmm. and wherever they stay uh, very frequently uh, and regularly. So so kind of like in, in a sort of like a safer sort of context than just sitting and waiting and waiting while you get on with your life, it's, mm-hmm. I guess, comparatively sort of like more manageable. It's still stressful with all these unknowns, but sort of, you know, you wait for it to be happening at some point and you and life goes on. Whereas for these people, their lives are on hold and they're really, really, Uh, depending um, on, on, on the responses from the Canadian government, sort of as uh, trying to grasp at straws and those straws are just kind of like not coming and they're <laughs> desperately trying to stay afloat. Yeah, mm-hmm. so definitely speeding up uh, the processing of those who, who have already been determined as eligible. So like, for example, those who who have worked with the Canadian government before, mm-hmm. um, so they were invited to submit to submit not not really like a standalone application, but they were invited to submit some biographical information, identify themselves, uh, describe the role in which they had helped the Canadian government in Afghanistan send uh, any relevant documents. So that happened. So from that point, the government should really be moving faster mm-hmm. on those applications um, to facilitate 
the, uh, the, the resettlement of those individuals uh, to Canada. Uh, also, on, on the front of refugee resettlement, right now a big hurdle to, to many, many Afghanis is not having a formal uh, refugee status in uh, whatever third country they would have escaped to, like, for example, Pakistan or Iran or Tajikistan, Uzbekistan. It's, it's very, very difficult to receive that formal refugee status, like within a couple of months even. Reasons are manifold. So, for example, in Pakistan, uh, so the wait times even to to be offered an interview with UNHCR, United Nations uh, High Commission for Refugees. So those wait times are quite extensive. Uh, there also seems to be quite a bit of confusion between what UNHCR in Pakistan can do for Afghanis, because sort of like superficially from the information that we glean from the UNHCR website is that those, so they say that those countries um, that have offered specific assistance to Afghanis, so they will be kind of dealing with the resettlement initiatives on their own and mm-hmm. UN, UNHCR is not involved. And so they will not be processing those claimants. Uh, whereas the Canadian government is saying that, well, you did, you do need that formal status as a refugee okay. and like in the country like Pakistan, you need to go to the UNHCR first. So it sort of becomes a bit of a, like a vicious circle. So we are trying to ascertain like like who, who like where actually like where would the person go and where they should like throw their time and energies either to plead with the Canadian government or to really insist with UNHCR is that I need that formal refugee status so that the Canadian government can move ahead to uh, to facil- facilitate my entry uh, as a refugee. Another problem is that. In, um, in in many of these neighb- neighboring countries, they're already very overburdened by the influx of uh, Afghanis and refugees in mm-hmm. Afghanistan generally. For many decades, has not been a stable country and sort of there periodically would be these uh, like outbreaks of like civil unrest and sort of political turmoil. And so, and so there were major, major influxes of uh, refugees uh, periodically. And so mm-hmm. now their capacities has really been taxed and stretched and outstretched. And so they have started closing borders. Now we are receiving reports, for example, that Iran is deporting Afghanis, ref, Afghani refugees en masse and, and they are not welcome in countries like Tajikistan. Mm-hmm, uh, even mm-hmm. sort of on a practical level, they can't find affordable places to live. They are in, in denigrated, mistreated, receive the sort of foreign, foreigners, aliens who come and sort of put additional burden on the on the local society. So in that kind of context, it is also very difficult to get established as a refugee. And if there is no UNHCR presence in a country like Iran, where the Iranian government is is uh, is responsible for giving this formal refugee status, well, if they are deporting Afghanis back to Afghanistan, then uh, it is not likely they would be deporting them with the formal positive decision on their refugee status. So, so all of this kind of, kind of like from these multiple angles uh, goes to the outcome that it is extremely difficult for, mm-hmm. for Afghanis now to receive this formal refugee status. And if they don't have it under the Canadian immigration law, they are not eligible for a settlement as refugees under under two of the three major private refugee, refugee sponsorship categories. Okay. And uh, there are some hurdles for them to also be resettled as government-sponsored refugees. So, um, so for us lawyers, um, sort of one of our current um, 
uh, focal points of advocacy is to ask the government to remove this requirement or to to suspend temporarily, at least in the context of um, trying to assist those vulnerable Afghanis, that they should be recognized as prima facie refugees, uh, given the given the, the, the conditions in the country and it's like no yeah. secret and we don't need to really dig for evidence that people who, that people of ethnic minorities, people um, uh, from the LGBT demographic uh, activists, those who have been sort of politically uh, visible, socially visible, uh, that they will be now in danger at the hands of Taliban. Yeah, so... So the government should remove this requirement of having a formal refugee status. And so then then that when that hurdle is out of the way, then of course it's kind of not the end of the process, <laughs> but at least the processing can be started and applications can be facilitated and they can move forward. But most importantly, then this removal opens up to uh, opens up uh, possibilities for Anybody, basically any organization, any individual in Canada to who who has the the desire, the the means, mm-hmm. um, sort of the the capacity to assist, they can do so. For example, one of the very common ways to bring refugees to Canada through private sponsorship is by so-called Group of Five, and I believe this this is unique to Canada. No other country uh, has this kind of a vehicle for private refugee sponsorship. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I am not fully sure if we are still unique, but I know that Canada was like the pioneer at this initiative yeah. sort of in the world stage of refugee resettlement. So some, uh, some jurisdictions might have replicated it already, but Canada can take credit for actually coming up with it. So that means that any group of five, Adults in Canada, so over 18, okay. Canadian citizens are permanent residents. Uh, they don't have to have any family relation to uh, to a vulnerable um, person uh, outside. They can just come together. They pull the, they, they have to meet the financial criteria. They have to live in an area where the, the, this refugee would be settled in Canada. Okay. Sort of kind of like the same mm-hmm. sort of municipality or sort of like the, the city or sort of the reasonable sort of like distance from the city. Uh, and so they would have to pledge financial support uh, to the refugee and their family for the period of 12 months. And this okay. would be financial support or a combination of minimum financial support and in-kind contribution, for example, free accommodation, furniture, like household items, like winter clothing. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so this would be, we think it's, it, it, it would be, we are very hopeful and we have good reasons to believe that it would open up sort of the doors, sort of the hearts yeah. um, and the minds for, for many people in Canada to assist. Uh, we are a very, like relatively, we are a very well-resourced, wealthy nation. Yeah, and no. so... Mm-hmm. And so in, in like so relatively speaking, it does not become too taxing, too exorbitant to take on a sponsorship for for a, let's say a group of five uh, to to be able to assist a family in in this manner. But right now, it is not possible if that individual, that family, does not have a formal refugee status. I see. I guess that's an important limitation um, that I didn't know did not know of, and I'm sure. Uh, Many of our members and listeners did not know of either. Um, so, and you're doing some advocacy yeah. work right now. Is there anything that our members can do uh, regarding this advocacy work that um, you are doing with your colleagues? Like, is there something to sign a petition or a letter that um, can be shared around? 
Well, we have a group within our section that is putting together like a formal submission to, okay. to the government. Um, yeah, to outline that this would be one one solution. Like it's it's a it's a quick, uh, like relatively, it's a relatively quick and a practical solution. And mm. also, I, I should say it's very important uh, to know that there has been precedent for it. So it's not like we are sort of you know radical, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> legal, legal activists here saying that let's just suspend our laws and <laughs> it's just a, like a really good sort of you know aspirational reason behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this this requirement has been already uh, was previously suspended for for the resettlement effort uh, in 2015 2016 where okay. we had about 30,000 Syrian ref- refugees brought to Canada mm-hmm. and they were brought in a phenomenally short length of time i think within uh, within several months okay uh, so there was um it was very heavily publicized, uh, like in terms of the communications uh, departments for the government in the media. Uh, it was really a massive and uh, undertaking, and it utilized a lot of goodwill and resources. But mm-hmm. but also, uh, it was possible because a lot of private groups sort of came to the fore, and mm-hmm. so they were able to put forward and succeed with these private sponsorships. Uh, and it was at that time that the government temporarily suspended this requirement, this okay. requirement that we have sort of as like black letter of the law that a refugee to be sponsored through these groups of five or smaller community organizations, they have to have the formal refugee status. So in our submission that is kind of currently in the nascent stage and we are putting it together, so we are going to point out that you have a precedent for it. Yeah, and exactly. It's like a yeah. favorable precedent uh, with good outcomes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's hopeful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if I, if I, if anybody is uh, like interested and, and they want to find more, like at this stage, I can't like send you sort of to the website of the CBA to say, hey, you know, here is our submission. So it's not ready yet. We expect it to be to be completed within the next couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, but if anybody has sort of like more ideas, <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they they can uh, reach out uh, to me if anybody sort of has like a novel vision. What else could be suggested to the government that can be done? Uh, and that could be realistic and sort of like achievable. Yeah. Well, if that's okay with you, then we might share your email address at the bottom yeah. of our, mm-hmm. um, for this podcast. Um, so I understood that from what you've been saying, it's extremely difficult. You often have to give a negative response to uh, Afghan refugees who, who ask you questions about what what is the next step and what they can do. Um, but can you share with us an example of a successful successful story Um, since these services have been put in place, if you have one. They were still in Afghanistan. And so they just heard about this. um, Just generally, they heard that Canada is uh, accepting refugees and Canada in late uh, September announced they would double their intake of Afghan refugees from 20,000 to 40,000. So uh, so this individual wanted to know how they can take advantage of it. So we had an exchange of emails and I asked them, um, so like, like where they are, if they have worked for the Canadian government. So at least, if, so for me, it sort of became, again, unfortunately, a matter of like ruling out. Okay, so mm-hmm. you have not worked with the Canadian <laughs> government, so you're not eligible for that. You're still in Afghanistan, and it, like that's that's another barrier for anybody to be resettled as a refugee. That you have to be outside of Afghanistan. Again, it's kind of the black letter of our law that yeah. you cannot be still in Afghanistan mm-hmm. and to come to Canada as a refugee. So that okay, you're still in Afghanistan, so you cannot uh, come as a as a refugee. But then it turned out that the, the person had uh, had uh, family members uh, in Canada, not 
immediate family members, so like not spouse, not children. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, so I connected with the family members and I told them that this is potentially a route. It's not going to be fast, but this is how you can bring this person into Canada through family sponsorship. Uh, and so this this person in Afghanistan, so they would be uh, in legal terms, your de facto family member is mm-hmm. just in your application and your written request accompanying the application you would have to explain the nature of your relationship and how you are uh, interdependent and how you're supporting each other practically, financially, emotionally. And so then you would ask for this application to be approved on the basis of this de, de facto relationship. And um, uh, and so then, so the legal, the legal mechanism for, for that is a mm-hmm. specific, specific provision in the Immigration Refugee Act to ask for humanitarian consideration where somebody does not meet the rigid requirements of uh, of our statutory law. Uh, so, so that was explained to the family in Canada. And so they're in the process now of getting together um, the, the application, pulling sort of like records of financial support, uh, like money, like proof of money transactions between these two families, a proof of communication okay, nice. uh, between each other, like printouts um, of uh, regular uh, like messenger email uh, communications. Yeah. So, so I'm hoping that application will come to fruition. Again, I had to pre- premise my advice with a lot of, it's not going to be fast, mm-hmm. but you know, like this is a viable route. It is possible in mm-hmm. law, but uh, you might have to wait. <laughs> yeah, manage expectation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I guess, like, ultimately, like, it still is, like it still helps for people to have clarity what does, what, yeah. what is possible, what is not possible, and as long as we can provide mm-hmm. and provide it, and um, and we can sort of dispel sort of like myths or or misinformation yeah, or or hopes. Yeah, because hopes. for anybody yeah. from outside of Canada, if, if they just hear something from somebody or like through social media or on the news that Canada now doubled its yeah, intake no, exactly. of Afghan refugees, <laughs> great. So then mm-hmm. that, that's wonderful. So I guess you know, anybody who contacts the Canadian government should mm-hmm. be able to come. <laughs> exactly it's like open doors yeah no it seems so yeah, easy so then yeah. sort of you know mm-hmm. like we sort of like are more like more sober-minded mm-hmm. kind of um like we're really focused on details and so we can come into the picture and explain that this is how it's going to work like in your situation you're not eligible yet but if the government for example agrees to remove this requirement of the formal refugee mm-hmm. status yeah 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 and i sh- and i should say that i keep uh, like I guess I have all these all this these individuals through my email record. So, and this I know that other lawyers are doing that too. That as soon as if this happens, this will be really awesome and amazing yeah. news. So then we can follow up with this individual to say that. Oh okay, yeah, definitely. So now, uh, so you don't have to have the formal refugee status. So now, if you have like let's say distant relatives, you have any connection in Canada, and if these people can band together, for example group of five or there is like an ethnic religious uh, organization like a smaller scale organization non-profit uh, which normally would be subject to this uh, requirement of the formal refugee status so now that's not in place so please connect with them if they want to become sponsors so now we can provide further information how to kind of start that process but that initial roadblock which was a huge roadblock and sort of like a non-starter from the outset it has been removed now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so if this happens so then uh we can follow up with all these individuals to whom we have had to render 
sort of like really detailed but negative news right now we can say so one door is open exactly like shut before but now it has opened now it's open and there's an opportunity somewhere uh, that that would be great i mean i really hope now that uh, it's gonna work uh, it's gonna work out so now we're almost at the end but uh actually you already shared a bit with us what our members and listeners could do uh but do you have um, other actions that you believe they could undertake to improve the current situation Well, you know, something that I guess like any, any sort of like, like, like any Canadian citizen, any sort of like participant in the Canadian society can do is uh, talk to your MP, reach mm-hmm. out to, yeah. yeah, to your, to your MP um, and put pressure on them, not in the sense that, you know, like pressure that you would be there camping out outside of their <laughs> office, but uh, like write a letter and, and ask them also to facilitate these measures like through through the through the um the house and uh through through the government through the political decision makers to to speed up the processing to put in more resources into the processing of these of, of applications from Afghanis who have already been found eligible um yeah so kind of do advocacy on that individual level it's like it wouldn't take very much and you know anybody can do it and we all have our MPs uh, like yeah. attached to wherever mm-hmm. we live uh yeah so So like with a massive effort like that, if it becomes sort of like a massive effort, then like I'm hopeful that the government would listen more attentively and those things that we think should be in place already and why they are not. So we are hopeful that uh, they would happen. Thank you very much, Anna, for giving us more information about this pro bono initiative. We understand this is a challenging situation and that concrete actions must be undertaken by our government to increase support to Afghan civilians who wish to seek refuge in Canada. To our listeners, we hope that this podcast gave you some concrete ideas and actions that you can undertake to help support Afghan civilians. This includes reaching out directly to your MPs and asking them to temporarily get rid of the rigid requirement of our law which is currently asking for a formal refugee status. If you have other ideas, would like to participate, or would like to know more about this initiative, you can find all the information in the description of this episode. To help us raise awareness in the legal community about improving access to justice, share this episode in your professional network. For our previous and future episodes, subscribe to The Every Lawyer on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, are your favorite podcast platform. Feel free to leave comments and ratings on these platforms. Check out other CBA podcasts like Conversations with the President and Modern Law on cba.org slash podcasts. We also have a podcast in French called Juriste de Branchy. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.